Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simple Cove. Hey, guys. Hello. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. Hey, Guy. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We'd also like to thank our new patrons to our Patreon campaign, Alan Lillick and Paul Hannock. If you'd like to support the show, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And also make sure you're sticking around to the end of the show. We're going to be talking a little bit about what we're doing in the shop so you kind of get an idea of what we've got going on. So with that, Guy, you've got the first question. All right. I've got I've got it queued up too. The wonders <laughs> ever cease. About time. Don't take the shot yet. Don't take the shot yet, folks. <laughs> This question is from Jeff, and Jeff says, I just got my first Lee Nielsen plane, number four bronze body smoother. Nice. I've I've been looking at that myself. I've decided it's time to up my sharpening game and purchase some quality stones to sharpen plain irons and chisels. I had pretty much decided on Shapton water stones when I ran across their glass stones. The glass stones now seem to be the way to go, but I'd like to have your guys take on the glass versus the water stones before I pull the trigger. Love the show, guys. Thanks, and Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Jeff. I should say Happy Holidays. I took this question because I have the Shapton glass stones, and I thought I could give a little bit more perspective on it from somebody that owns them. They're coming from uh, Norton water stones. Previously, what I had before was I had, uh, well, I still have them, actually. It was uh, the combination Norton stones. I think it was a 1,000, 4,000, and then I want to say a 6 and 8. I can't remember. And they, they were good, but they tended to round out pretty quick, and you had to flatten them quite a bit, which was kind of a pain. You have to make sure you soak them beforehand. Now, the, the, the Shapton water stones, I guess, are much harder than those Nortons. Have you guys, Sean, you have Shapton mm-hmm. water stones. I do. I have the Shapton um, wet stone, water stone. You do not have to soak them. Um, you, you just don't. spray them. No, you do not. Okay. Nope. Good. And just to touch on what you said with the Nortons, I had the same ones you did, and you're absolutely right. They dished really quickly. Yeah, and you got you got to keep them wet. You got to keep them soaking in water all the time. Absolutely. You know, I used to have this tub with stones underneath my bench all the time, and it was just it was just messy and crappy. And I don't sharpen that much, anyways. the The reason I went with the glass stones is because I had read a review on fine woodworking where they talked about them, and they said they cut really quick, they take very little water, and they stay flat for a very long time. And I can tell you that's absolutely true. I have four of them. I think I've got a 1,000, a 4,000, an 8, and a 16. I probably should not have bought the 16 because I really don't need to take it that high. I'll take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> they're, it's, they're, they're a little salty. I think those were between 100 to $150 a piece at the time when I bought them. Yeah. But the nice thing about them is, is I store them dry. And when I do need them, I can just pull out pretty much the 8,000 grit is what I use most of the time, put a couple of drops of water on it, and they cut really fast with very little lubrication. 
and I can just wipe them off. And I, it's been a long time since I flattened them. So if you can afford the glass stones, I'd highly recommend them. Now, if they're better than just the regular Shapton water stones, I couldn't tell you. Now, and another reason I took this question is I was pretty sure that, that Sean had the, the Shapton water stones. So why don't you tell us about your experience with the water stones, Sean? Uh, the water stones that I have, I've had them for a few years now. I bought the 1,000, 5,000, 8,000, and I just finished a nice sharpening station and made a video on my process. But I very rarely use the 5,000, only when I'm flattening backs of chisels. Uh, because going from 1,000 to 8,000, I find that it takes uh, quite a bit longer on just the 8,000 if I skip the grit. But touching up the the bevels, I go from 1,000 straight to 8,000. And that's pretty much all that I use it for. And I have a diamond plate that I use to flatten uh, my water stones. You know, I'm really happy with the the Shapton, the water stones that I have. Um, for about 160 bucks, you could get the one, the five and 8,000 grit stones, which is, uh, you know, is pretty cheap for, for quality stones like that. Um, they're probably not going to hold up, a stay flat as long as the glass stones, and they may not sharpen quite as, as fast as the glass stones. So it, it just all depends on what, if you want to spend more money and get the nicer stones. I mean, looking back at it, I'll probably, I would probably have gotten the glass stones just because they're, they're nicer stones. Um, they're going to stay flatter longer and, uh, and all the things that I just said, and probably sooner or later I'll switch to the, the glass stones. But I tell you for the, the price of these shaft and water stones, you don't have to soak them just spray it and start sharpening. I mean, they're really good stones. They're, I had the Nortons before these. And like Guy said, they just dished like crazy and they're messy. Yeah. Yeah. And their flattening stone that they uh, sell the Norton flattening stone is garbage. Absolute yeah. garbage. Mm. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a 400 grit diamond plate that I use. Yep. Yeah. Flat my hundred percent. Yeah. What do you, what yeah. do you use? We, I use diamond plates, the DMD okay. DMT diamond plates. I think it's an eight inch by three inch. And I use that because they're relatively inexpensive and they stay flat. They cut pretty fast, but I do know now I've not had this experience with my diamond plates, but I do know that some people have had some quality control issues with the DMT diamond plates. Uh, I've heard that the aggregate that's on the diamond plate can sometimes come off on some of the different grits or whatnot. Do you have the ones that are solid or the ones with the holes in them? No, no. I have the ones that are solid. Yeah. So they're pretty, they're actually pretty heavy. I haven't had a quality issue with them and I'm, I'm happy with them. But once those wear out, which may be a really, really long time from now. Yeah, those are industrial diamonds on there. They'll, they'll last, you know, 100 yeah. years. So my guess is that before that happens, I'll probably shift to getting uh, Shapton glass stones because uh, I've used them before and they're really nice. Again, just like you said, not messy. You don't, they hardly ever need flattening if just a, a few times here and there. And they're not messy. You know, you don't need a lot of water. I mean, I, I just yeah. couldn't imagine having to soak it's just very messy, and I, I don't like yeah. getting all that uh, water on my bench. On, on, on the DMT stones, they've got you know they don't put grit on them, do they? They say it's like coarse and fine, coarse, extra yes. coarse. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the 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 What's the like extra fine is their top of the line one? What's the equivalent? So I believe their extra fine is equivalent to somewhere between, I can't remember, somewhere between 8,000 and 10,000. I think their extra, extra right. fine is 16,000. But if I were to do it over again, I would probably just get the coarse, the fine and the extra fine and not bother with the extra, extra fine because going to that higher grit, 
you know, maybe the benefit is marginal. So I, I don't know. Uh, See, I thought the extra fine was like twelve hundred. Is that what 1200? it says? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, I use the I use a coarse DMT diamond plate for um, flattening my stones, and uh, they last a long time. I bought one six years ago, and I just bought another one the other day. But I've I've I do have a a diamond plate that's dual sided, but it's got the holes in it. It's a DMT, and it's fine and extra fine. I think one side is a thousand, the other side is like twelve hundred for mm-hmm. the extra fine. Yeah. I don't think it's like 16. No, no. I'm talking extra, extra. There's, believe it or not, there's one above that, above the extra. Extra, fine. extra, extra fine? Yeah, quadruple extra fine. <laughs> no. Oh uh, the God. double extra fine, I think, is 16,000. Yeah, 16,000. And I think the, huh. I think you're right. The extra fine is probably somewhere like between 10 and 12,000. But again, the point is, is that it was probably silly for me to get the extra, extra fine. Um, I just got it. Extra, extra. I just want to say extra, 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 extra fine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but anyway uh so yeah i use the dmt diamond plates and they seem to work well for me but i will probably at some point transition to the glass stones because i mean you know i'm bougie like that so oh bougie (laughs) so wow i you know what the scary thing is i actually know what that means oh so um uh jeff i hope that answers your question and uh <laughs> now we're gonna talk about bougie yeah i don't know who's got the next question I'll, I'll i'll throw it to sean that's right hey thank you all right guys this is from scott on a recent episode you talked about using your cncs to cut out jigs etc i'm interested in getting a cnc to complement my woodworking which is a fairly new hobby for me since i retired a couple of years ago my only real interest is using it to make jig parts and router templates for things like furniture legs, not interested in creating final products or 3D sculptures with the CNC, nor doing any production for products to sell. What are your recommendations, size, features, manufacturers for a setup that would see light duty limited to this application? I've tried some of the online laser cutting services, but they can get pricey pretty quick and have limited thicknesses. So I'm interested in my own setup. Price is a big consideration as I can't see spending five grand for such a limited application. Mm. Thanks, Scott. So I'm going to preface this conversation by saying that I only have experience with the uh, Shepoko machine, so I can't speak about the other machines. However, I did read a lot of reviews and asked some of the other folks that have CNCs on Instagram before buying my Shepoko. And the overall consensus is uh, is the Shepoko machines are just a little more rigid than the Invitables CNC machine. Um, again, I have no evidence, but that's what I gathered from the folks that I've talked to. So when it came around Black Friday, uh, Shepoko had a sale, so I picked up the Shepoko XL. So uh, I'm going to be focusing my conversation on the different sizes of the Shepoko machine. If you're talking about sizes, the Shepoko, the XL has a, or the standard has a 16 by 16 cutting area. The XL has 16 by 32 and the XXL has a 32 by 33 cutting area, I believe. Is there not a a triple XL? Extra, 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 extra large? You mean quadruple XL? (laughs) No, they only have have an XXL. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guy. uh, Sorry. All right. Go ahead. ahead. So the XXL has a 32 by 33 cutting area. Um, Now, even though they state the machines will cut 16 in the Y, uh, to get the full 16 inches, the piece will have to overhang the front of the machine, which was news to me as a, a brand new CNC machine owner. You see the specs on their site and you're a little confused when the machine doesn't go back that far. And as the shape Oakos also have three inch Z index so or Z travel. Um, so, you know, if you're cutting 
uh, 12 quarter wood. You could probably, but probably not 12 quarter because you got the, the bit that sticks down, but you could easily do eight mm-hmm. quarter, 10 quarter material, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So even though the, the machine is limited to 32 inches in length, you can still cut pieces by uh, doing indexing pins and moving them. But as far as the depth of the machine, it all depends on the the work that you're going to do, which you mentioned jigs and stuff for furniture legs. The XL may get what you need um, as far as the the 16 inches, more like 14 in, in the, uh, in the depth of the piece that you're cutting. Um, But so that's what I would recommend just because I do the same things that you're talking about as, as cutting out jigs for furniture legs and all that stuff. The XL would be my recommendation. And that's based off of me using the machine now for over a year, done the things that you said. Now I'm going to pass it off to, uh, to guy. Would you, uh, would you change anything that I said? Would you go with a different machine now having your shape Oko for a while? Well, well, like I've had my shape Oko for about three years and I started out with the, the regular shape Oko and then I upgraded it to the XL. All I can tell you is that, you know, I, I, like you, I can't compare it to anything else because I've never owned anything else. And to be honest with you, I'm not cutting any 3D stuff. None of that really interests me. I, I've played around with it a little bit, but, you know, I never really, it's not, it's not what I got it for. I'm mostly just cutting out patterns and templates. It yeah. just makes life a lot easier for me. And for that purpose, it's awesome. It is a hobbyist machine. It does take, you know, it, it, I don't want to say it's finicky, but it can be at times. It really goes down to the software you use for it. Now I'm using Aspire's, I think it's Vectric yeah. 3D program, which is like their top of the line software. The software costs more than the, than the uh, CNC did, I think. So I'm not a software expert. That's where a lot of it comes into play. But uh, again, for just what I use it for, it's fine. And I can't say anything bad about the other, you know, major competitor in the market, which is the Inventables X-Carve. Comparing the two side by side, you know, I went with the Shape Oko for the exact same reason Sean went with his Shape Oko mainly because the rails are the rails and the gantry are much beefier on the shape oko than they are on the uh, x carve plus the shape oko is almost partially assembled it's just not a big bag of parts it's still a big bag of parts you're going to spend some time <laughs> you're going to spend so. some time but it's not not everything there's sub assemblies that have already been put together for you on the x carve none of that's none of that's done from what I understand. At that time, none yeah. of it was done. That was three years ago. That may have changed. Uh, we, I, I know you have talked about buying a CNC. I don't know if you have yet or not. I ha- I do not. Um, you said, I and, thought you said uh, you had bought one. Yes. Uh, it's being built. I didn't look into getting one to make templates. In the past, when I've had templates made for me, I've actually gone to a sign shop that has a local sign shop that has a CNC machine, and I basically handed them over a DXF or SVG file, a, you know, vector file, and they basically just cut out the templates for me. Uh, so I, I figured that me only using a CNC for templates probably wouldn't be worth me investing in it for that purpose, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I look at it as... Uh, me buying a CNC, the reason why I actually am thinking or 
actually bought one uh, and it's in the process of coming here is to actually make furniture parts to actually cut out of solid wood. And I, I know that the shape shape can do that. But I think that if you're just looking to make templates and things for jigs, then I think the shape Oko is probably your best bet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my machine to make parts for me. Yeah. To be honest with you. I wouldn't trust the shape Oko to do, you know, a, a perfect 90 degree right angle or whatever on the, there's no way, but um, I mean, well, let me take that back. It would be pretty darn close. I would probably use it for something like a leg, but for maybe cutting out a, a an apron that has a potential tenon on the end, I would I would check it very closely. So, what 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 kind of CNC did you get, Wee? Uh, so that's there's no brand name to it. It's actually a gentleman out in uh, Seattle who builds CNC machines for furniture makers, and uh, he gave me a really great price on one that I told him that I wanted. And I said, okay, uh, his name is Bruce, Carl Bruce, excuse me, Carl Bruce. Uh, he's been making them for, I think like the last 20 years or something like that. Uh, uh, how big is it? Don't quote me on that. It is a four by four. Oh, okay. So it's a decent size. It's bigger than our little a, 16 by 33 <laughs> machines. Yeah. But, but just a little bit, nothing against the shape. Oka. I think it definitely hits a market for people that, you know, want to do light duty work. And I think it's going to be a great machine for what, uh, Jeff is, is it Jeff? Scott, Scott, excuse me, Jim. what, uh, Scott is looking for. So <laughs> Bill, yeah. Taylor, <laughs> whatever guy. Tyler. Yeah. And, and Taylor, <laughs> Tyler, Taylor and Scott, even though you say you're only going to do it for templates and furniture legs. I promise you, you're going to do it for more than you're going to be using it for way more than that. I told myself the same and I'm making cribbage boards right now. So nice. never say never. And it's, it's a really, really fun machine to own. And it really, like Guy saying, it, it really is about the software. Um, it's all about optimizing your tool paths to, uh, for the cleanest cuts. Um, and you know, are you going to do a, uh, what is it called? A climb cut or conventional cut and doing mm -hmm. your final passes to get smooth walls and, and pocket bottoms and, so I, I've been dealing with that a lot here lately, and it's a lot of fun uh, trying to optimize your tool pass for the cleanest passes. You know, I think you're going to do the same when you get yours, especially if you're going to be cutting out furniture legs and all that stuff, or maybe just going to be cutting the templates for the legs. But I think you'll start dabbling in other things, and I would recommend getting the XL if it were me. And it, yeah. I did get that, actually. So yeah. hopefully that helps, Scott. All right, we, I think you're up next. All right. This question is from Will, and he says, Gents, thanks for answering my questions a while back. I have another one for you. I have a commission for a six foot round, 12 quarter poplar, but it doesn't matter, uh, dining table. I'll fabricate the steel base, but how would you move such a massive piece around the shop? And any recommendation on the glue up? Guy, how do you move your large pieces at the new shop? The question is actually directed more towards Guy, but actually it's something that I'm curious about too, because lately what I, I had a big tabletop that, I waited until the last minute for me to glue it up and to do the last final bit of uh, edge shaping and, and all that. But it was kind of difficult for me to move that thing around because I needed two people to to grab. it. I mean, I, I couldn't like grab both sides and just move it around myself. I mean, this was like a hundred pound tabletop. The way I did it was I had two people and I used sawhorses and I had an adjustable sawhorse so that I could I, I didn't have to travel very far to uh, to go from like different heights from my assembly table. But I'm sort of curious how your shop, uh, the new shop that you're working in now, uh, how you guys move around big pieces. Multiple people. You guys yep. don't do use dollies or anything? Yeah, we've got probably about 25 or 30 carts 
that get wheeled around mm-hmm. the shop on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But let's say I just built uh, this last week four tables that were all over six feet long. One was two or 10 feet long, and then one was eight and a half feet long. And they were all between 48 and 60 inches wide and inch and a half stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything from at, well, some, no, most of them, three of them were walnut, eight quarter walnut, and then two of them were eight quarter hickory. So these tables weigh, you know, hundreds of pounds. One guy cannot pick them up. You got to get two yes. guys, preferably three people. Mm-hmm. So there is no good way to move them around. Now, my own shop, when I've got something that big, I wouldn't make it out of solid wood. I'd make it out of veneer. I'd, you know, have a plywood substrate and I'd put veneer on top of it and and put edging on the side to make it look that thick. But I wouldn't make it that thick myself. It's just, you know, it's it's too much for one person. And my yeah. wife is, you know, 5'5", five, five, 125 pounds. She'd probably get mad that I set her weight. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oops. Uh, that's okay. She doesn't listen to this podcast anyways. So having her come out to help me lift a 250-pound tabletop just isn't going to happen. In your situation where you've got this the six-foot round top, it really, A, depends on how thick it is. Yeah. But if it's six foot round, it's an inch and a half thick, which is pretty much proportionate to the, to the size of the thing. It's mm-hmm. it's going to weigh a couple hundred pounds, man. It's, and it's not just the weight. It's the bulk of it. It's just yeah. awkward, especially mm-hmm. round because you can't just like set it down. I always try to use as much leverage as I can because I'm old and weak. So <laughs> I tend to, you know, if, if I need to move the, let's say I need to move it off of one table to another table. I'd put a piece of plywood on the floor and I'd lift one edge of it off and lower it down by myself on the piece of plywood so I wouldn't damage the edge, spin it around, and I'd have the other table right there next to it so I could just put it on that table and then lever it up on that. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I, I do a lot of the same thing too, where with, with the large tabletop that I had, I, I re- raised the sawhorses that I had, put blanket over it, put one one side over, slowly nudge it over and then do the other side, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But then when when I had to flip the stupid thing, you know, yeah, that's, that's you, you need another guy or or two, another person, Yeah, you know, yeah. that's tough. You just, yeah, yeah. Especially. That's, that, that's when you just don't worry about the underside. Worry about the things you can see. <laughs> there we go. Right. How about you, Sean? How do you how do you deal with large pieces in your shop? Uh, well, I mean, I normally just get help, but if there's no one around, I mean, I just pick one end up, throw it on the assembly table, slide it. If I need to flip it over, slide it over to the other side, tilt it off, rotate it, put it back on there, and just uh, do anything that I can. You know, put it on the put it on the ground, one edge on the ground on top of the foam mats, the the floor mats. Rotate it, lay one edge back down on the table, and flip it up. Yeah, it's about you know that's just make do with what I get, what I have, and then just sand out any blemishes that I make doing that. Yeah, it's it's tough in a one man shop when you've got big pieces like that. All right. So that wraps up our first round of questions. And before we get to our second round of questions, we'd like to thank our first sponsor, Maverick Abrasives. Maverick Abrasives is a family-run manufacturer of all things abrasives, such as sanding belts and sanding discs. 
Their manufacturing facility is located in the beautiful Anaheim, California, where knowledgeable abrasives and sanding experts are on call Monday through Friday to answer any of your sanding or finishing questions you may have. Check out their wide assortment of sanding discs on their website, whether you use 5-hole, 8-hole, or Festool hole patterns. They have you covered with the best prices on the web. To top it off, they have free shipping on orders $200 or more, so check out Maverick Abrasives for your sanding and finishing needs. All right, Guy, we're back to you, buddy. Back to me? Throwing it back to Guy the way you did. That was cheery. That was was awesome. It's like something you hear on a radio. Back to you, Guy. Back to you, Guy. (laughs) And I actually have I actually have the question queued up. I'm on I'm on my game tonight. You are on point. <laughs> I am. I am. So this question comes from Zach. And Zach says, I'm having trouble getting clean 45 degree angles or any other angle than 90 on my table saw. I use an Incremeyer 1000 and it seems like my workpiece shifts ever so slightly as the wood enters the blade and my miter isn't clean. And I'm just going to interject something. You're not alone, Zach. He continues, I don't have confidence in the miter stop provided with the miter gauge because it's just a small round piece of metal. Any tips on cutting angles with this style miter gauge would be awesome. Also, do you recommend using on the left or right miter slot of a left tilting blade? Much appreciated and keep up the great work, Zach. So as I interjected in the middle of this question, that is a very common problem, Zach. You've got your, you know, you spend all this time setting up your miter gauge. It's dead nuts, exactly 45 degrees. And then you put a piece of wood through it and the wood shifts a little bit, burns the end, which means the miter's off. That's, that's again, very common thing. What I do in that situation is I, if I can, I clamp my piece to the miter gauge. Yes. Mm-hmm. either using a spring clamp or I've got some of those uh, Bessie quick click, I think they're called clamps. Yeah, like a trigger uh, clamp? No, not like the the squeeze clamps, but it's like a clamp that's, well, anyways, uh, it's a very light duty clamp and they're really easy to use with one hand and I use those quite a bit. And he also talks about the left or right miter slot of a left tilting blade. Conventional wisdom says if you have a left tilting blade, that your miter gauge should be on the right-hand side of the blade. And the reason for that is, is if you're doing compound miters, or even if you're using the miter, the, the, the miter gauge, it's better to have that piece of wood fall off that side than it is on the large flat side when the blade Between the fence and the blade. You don't yeah. you want it on the... Uh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so it's better to have the cutoff drop there. But what do you guys do in this situation? Do you use your miter gauge to cut 45s? I do. And um, there's a couple things that I've done in the past. And one of that is, is to put like 120 grit sandpaper on the fence. Yeah. Not all the way out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, it's a good idea. I never thought of that. And not put it out to where the blade's going to cut it, but get it pretty darn close mm. and keep it away from the blade. That way it's going to grip your piece. That combined with the stop lock does a pretty good job of keeping the, the blade in place or the piece in place. You could give that a try on like a an auxiliary fence or something like that. That does a pretty good job. And I put, when I'm cutting miters, uh, the miter gauge is on the right side. So mm-hmm. like I said, it falls off to the left and not the other way around. Um, but that's, that's the tips that I have. I'm the same as Guy. I'm, I'm using uh, a clamp to clamp the workpiece to the miter gauge. I'm not, uh, although that sandpaper 
thing that you mentioned is a very clever thing to do. Yeah. I don't know why I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very clever, but I don't really, I don't really have anything to add in terms of what you guys already said. I mean, yeah, I use a clamp, but yeah, that it happens all the time. You know, if you're just holding it with your hand, it's going to shift. If it's a drastic angle, you're actually tends to shift more. I've noticed that if it's, you know, relatively low angle, it doesn't shift as much. So, yeah, I like the sandpaper idea because if you got a board, let's say that's, you know, four inches wide, that'd be hard to clamp down to your miter gauge. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do with a lot on boxes is because they're small pieces and being, you know, half inch thick, it's really difficult for me to get a clamp around it. Yeah. That's a good idea. Woo! Uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so he's so complimentary. Wow, he sure is. <laughs> I said I said that's a great idea, didn't I? It it yeah. is a great idea. You're <laughs> there. You go. All right. All right, Sean, you got the next question. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, this is from Michael. My question is about a workbench I want to build, more specifically the top of the workbench. I have no formal workbench right now, so I'm looking to build my first. I was initially looking to source some butcher block top and use that, but last year I acquired a full four by eight sheet of one and a quarter inch MDF leftover from a job site. I had to rip it down and cut it down to make it manageable enough to get in my car. So I have two pieces of a five foot by two foot, one and a quarter inch piece of MDF. So he's got two of those. He was planning on laminating the two pieces together to get a five foot by two foot by two and a half inch thick bench top. I'm wondering what issues, if any, I may have or may encounter uh, any tips for the glue up, attaching a vise, et cetera. I was going to drill dog holes, but recently saw a video from David Picciuto where he puts a T-track in the top. I really like how his turned out and was thinking about doing that. So I was just hoping uh, to get some insight into anything I may want to look out for or be aware of, pro, cons, thoughts, et cetera. Thanks, Michael. So I'm going to tackle this one, uh, these questions one at a time, and uh, they're going to start by talking about tips for the glue up. I'm going to say what I think and then pass it off to the guys. Um, and I would probably start by making a bunch of clamping calls, probably five or six sets. Uh, these are cambered uh, clamping calls, and that they're going to span the length of the glue up or the width, rather, of the five foot by two foot panel. So you're going to have them roughly, you know, a little bit, a little bit longer than two feet, so they can span over the edge. You can get some clamps, but not too much longer. Uh, this is going to help promote even clamping pressure for the glue up uh, because you definitely want that glue up to come out as flat as possible since you're using this as a workbench top. Um, and you don't say whether or not you have an assembly table or anything, but I'm going to assume you want this to come out pretty flat. Yeah. Um, so if, if you have a known and another thing that that you could possibly do, if you have an already known flat and level surface, you could use that to do this glue up on. That's going to make it a little bit easier. But I'm going to start off by saying clamping calls. Uh, Hui, what about you? But do you have any tips for him on the uh, on the glue up before we move on to the other question? I mean, yeah, clamping calls, but you know, I've got a vacuum, so that that helps a lot. <laughs> that would be nice, consistent, even pressure all the way across. But yeah, clamping calls if you don't have a vacuum, obviously. So, guy, uh, yeah, all <laughs> right, I would agree, I would agree with that. If if you don't have a vacuum bag, clamping calls are the way to go. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, what about well, I'm not going to touch on it because I was thinking maybe possibly screws and, and nails, but he may not have, you know, he may be able to put some around the perimeter, but. Yeah, you got to really keep track of where those screws are because yeah. if you're going to be drilling any type of dog. You know, I, I still have yet to drill a dog hole in my workbench, but one day I'm going to, and I don't want to <laughs> have to worry about hitting a, hitting a screw. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. 
That's why I was hesitant to even bring it up. But uh, okay, so let's move on to the second part. And finally, um, dog holes versus T-Track. In my opinion, since you're using this as a workbench, it's just my opinion. I would not put a a T-Track in the workbench. The dog holes are going to be more useful and in my opinion are going to hold up better over time. I can't imagine putting some sort of of a clamp in the T-Track to hold your board down while you're planing with the hand plane. I mean, it's maybe they have low profile clamps, but how are you going to, you know, smooth yeah. the, the face of a half inch thick board? I, I just can't see it. So my, my, my feeling of the, on this matter is to go with dog holes. But if you, if you still, after you have the dog holes, you want T-Track, I mean, just put it along the edges out of the way of the dog holes. But my recommendation is going to be go with dog holes and not put any T-Track in there because you've also got to look at how are the screws going to hold up in the MDF after a while of, of using the T-Tracks, especially if you're right. putting, you know, some sort of pressure on the boards. It's going to, over time, I imagine it's just going to pull out. What do you guys think? No, I'm, I'm w- I was going to say the exact same thing about the screws. That was the first thing that came to mind is you've got the, these screws going into MDF. Then you're putting a clamp into the T-Track. It's pulling up. Yep. And, you know, it's going to pull right out of there. The other thing about T-Tracks is, is they're just a catcher for all kinds of crap. You know, it's just, it's just const- every time you want to use the, 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 a clamp on thing, you're going to have to clean out the track somehow, whether that's with mm-hmm. compressed air or a brush or whatever. And none of that is necessary. Just drill some dog holes, and uh, there's all kinds of different clamping options that you oh, can yeah. do with that. So I would go dog holes as well. Yeah, dog yep. holes is the way to go. Yep, 100%. 100%. One last little question or one last little tidbit. Okay, for attaching a vise, I don't think two and a half inches is going to be thick enough, but depending on the type of vise you end up with, uh, you may have to either attach spacer blocks under the end of the top where you mount the vise so that the vise is brought down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, uh, you'll see people, they will attach a wider board as a front apron to allow you to attach the the woodworking vise. So it just depends on the kind of vise that you're going to install, but I would imagine that you can install it. You may end up having the same problems again with... Uh, with the screws inside of the MDF. So you may run into some issues of that with that not holding very well over time, depending on, you know, how you mount it. I, I can't, can you guys think of a way for him to successfully mount that a vice uh, into uh, MDF and have it hold up? Other than what you said, adding, adding some beef to the, where it's going to be mounted. No, I can't think of a, a different solution to that. I think, you know, if you're mounting a vice, like an undermount vice or something like that, and it's the bolts are going through the MDF, I think you'd be okay. Mm, like a, through bolts, yeah. yeah. And especially in two and a half thick MDF, I, I think you'd be okay. But still, you know, it's it's going to, I would still not feel super comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Final word on the matter is use this as an experiment to figure out what you want your next bench to be. And, yeah, yeah. um, that's good advice. You know, yeah. Experiment with this option. So hopefully that helps Michael. Good luck. All right. We, what do you have for us? All right. So this is from Aaron and he says, I started woodworking last year and I've only been using Jatoba, African mahogany, hickory, and hard maple. Wow. <laughs> what a privilege. Uh, mostly because I got good deals on Craigslist based on what I've heard you guys discussing. Those might not be the easiest woods to work with. My next project is to make a bed for my four-year-old son. What species would make my life easier? I'm in Denver, so cherry isn't all that cheap. Also, any tips on making beds? Aaron, I'm going to put out a recommendation of wood maybe that uh, that might work for him that uh, is relatively easy to work with. And then I think maybe you guys can 
uh, you know, chime in or, or, or put in your opinions as to what wood you might use. But I was thinking uh, ash, like a white ash. It's relatively uh, easy to work with. It's uh, It's got good hardness. I think it'll be durable enough for bed hardware that you'll use for the bed. And uh, it's easy to stain. It takes color well, um, easy to finish. And uh, a lot of workbenches are made out of it. A lot of people make their workbench tops out of it. So, uh, so yeah, white ash, I think that would be my choice. How about you, Sean? Oh, man. Um, and cherry is not cheap. So I've never used this before, but I've heard other folks use it in place of cherry because of the similar characteristics. And that would be alder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be my pick. Nice. I've not used it. Do your research, but I hear it's pretty close to cherry. How about you, Guy? Guy? That's uh, a it's a tough question. It's a, it's an almost impossible question to answer. I don't know what the design of the bed is. I don't know what color he wants it to be. You know, it's just there's a lot going on there to just say this type of wood. If it were me for my four year old son, and I just wanted something that you know would last him till he's old enough to get a, a larger bed. In my area, I might agree with the the white ash. It's it's fairly inexpensive. It's plentiful, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty clear. I don't know if I'd stain it, maybe a little bit of a dye on it yeah, just to give it a little bit of color, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a good choice. Uh, also, in my area, soft maple is very inexpensive, mm-hmm. and uh, that's also a nice hardwood for something like that. Yeah, that, that's about the only thing I can think of. I mean, it's, 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 a, very, it's a very general question. Yeah. It's hard to answer. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up our round of questions. So let's uh, let's talk about what we got going on in the shop. Sean, what do you got going on, man? So this week I'm finishing up a cherry wall cabinet for the shop, actually, to hold a few supplies. Um, it's pretty nice, uh, at least I think so. And I'm also working on uh, a retirement gift and a couple of Christmas gifts. One of those being a really nice cribbage board box set with hinges and some pockets uh, routed out for uh, the cards and the pegs. Um, so that's pretty much what I have going on in my shop this week. Not too much. And I've also got to clean it up cause it's a mess. <laughs> what about you? Uh, guy or me? Uh, let's go to guy. What does, what does guy have going on in the shop? What have I got going on in my shop? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm still working. I'm still working on my travel tool chest. One of these days, you know, the next three or four years, I'll get it. What about your day job? Oh man, we got all kinds of stuff going on. It just never ends. We, we, we're doing all these picnic tables and benches mm. and they're like furniture quality picnic tables. And there's just tons of parts. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of sanding. We're, we're almost ready now. I think I got about another four or five hours worth of sanding right. with a couple guys. And then we're ready to start gluing together the sub assemblies. Mm-hmm. One of the guys is also building a credenza. I've got a, another small cabinet to build that's actually solid wood i'm looking forward to doing that Mm -hmm. haven't finished anything we've just got we've just got like two or three large projects going on i've been helping we've had some uh issues with our tabletop department where we've got these these large wide tables and they can't seem to get them flat after they glue them up Mm. so i've been working with the guys to help them understand proper joiner technique and mm. some other things to get the tabletops flat because it's you know it's very expensive yeah. 
for us to have to do twice. <laughs> are they getting a so, are they getting a little smiley face after it comes out of the clamps? Oh, they're getting a big smiley face. You know, a quarter to a half inch bow in the middle. Ouch. And like I said, there's a there's a lot of labor that has gone into that piece and a lot of money because it's it's all been for the most part it's been eight quarter walnut, which ain't cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I've got going on. Cool. Cool. Building stuff for other people. What about you, Hui? Well, I just finished up the arm mechanism for the drop leaf table that I'm making for my mother-in-law. And I also am using this um, insert knob as as sort of the pull for the arm mechanism. The insert knob, you can put like a piece of whatever wood you want. In this case, I'm using a sapile. But I chucked that up into my drill press and, and shaped that out and polished it. And they look real nice. So... Uh, I'll be attaching that pretty soon, and then uh, I'll be pretty much done with all the machining of that part or that furniture piece, and uh, start with uh, finishing it pretty soon, sanding and finishing. Hopefully, in the next uh, cool. week, I'll have it done right before Christmas, so it'll be perfect timing. So, nice. all right, I think that wraps up this show. Please remember, this podcast is here to answer your questions from the woodworking community. So, if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you? Guyswoodshop.com. And Sean, where can we find you? Simplecove.com. Great. Thanks for listening. And uh, guys, we'll see you in a couple weeks. See you later. All right. See ya.